0: Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. To take ownership of your personal data online? Think you have it covered already? Or does it feel like some fanciful dream? Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable. Today's guest is Gal Ringel, co-founder and CEO of Mine. And they use AI to help us discover our online footprint and wrestle back control. Gal is an accomplished leader with a rare fusion of technology, entrepreneurship, and VC experience. And in this conversation, you will quickly discover... That he is a strategic thinker with unique business skills. Gal strongly believes that success is a management of failures, and therefore his motto: "Do not be afraid to take risks and experience failures. This is how we learn best." I was fortunate to have him share risks, failures, and learnings on this episode. So let's hand over to Gal and get started. So thanks for
1: having me, Tony. I'll start with a short background about myself about my career and how did I got to the startup scene. So I was writing code and X stuff since I was really young, let's say around eight years old. And this is what eventually got me drafted to the 8200 unit in the army. So the 8200 unit is the official cybersecurity offensive unit, which is part of the Israeli intelligence. And I had a really long army service, talking about six years. I'm an officer, a captain. And there, most of my time, I had engineering and research around cybersecurity offensive, for many different angle. angles. I can't say much beyond that, but this is my main background. Israel is really famous with its uh, cybersecurity sector. A lot of the big cybersecurity startups worldwide are out of Israel, thanks to those technological units like the 8200 unit. And uh, so, this is where I grew up Um, and after my army service i had all kinds of other engineering goals but after 10 years i decided to change my career i wanted to take my hands-on technology and pivot it to the business side with the clear purpose of starting my own startup and taking a business role rather than a tech role i wanted to experience other things and so i had to go and learn business skills right how to do product marketing business development, sales, finance, because all I knew back then is tech. And somehow I found myself joining the venture capital community in Israel, but I was working for two U.S. Uh, corporations as an investor. So I started my, my venture capital career with Nielsen, the U.S. market research company, mainly investing in early stage startups around uh, seed stage and, and series A mainly around consumer, media, and mobile. Those were my sectors. And after two years with Nielsen, I joined Verizon Ventures, the U.S. telco. And there I moved on to invest in later stage investments, so mainly Series A to C. And overall, after doing four and a half years as an an investor, I had the chance to invest in 20 amazing startups in the Israeli ecosystem from Sit stage all, all the way to series C and D. So this is how I learned product and marketing and finance and hiring. And I sat within board meetings and I learned the startups ecosystem from the venture capital side, also through working with a lot of startups and seeing a lot of startups. Overall, I deployed uh, $50 million in those startups. And I was lucky enough to be chosen to Forbes 30 under 30 three years ago. So I was part of that list as well. And now I'm the CEO and co-founder at mine. And in the nutshell, mine is personal data assistance, I enable digital users to discover and manage their personal data online. It's a really big issue these days, taking into consideration COVID as well, which increased the privacy awareness uh, as well. And since it's still free for everyone, I invite you and all your listeners to check it out at saymind.com and take ownership of your personal data online.
0: Carl, it's a wonderful background. And thank you for that as the introduction. A few different angles that I'd like to test out with you. One is your view of being an investor then versus now. But before we do that, I've already used the SayMind site. And to take the term that you used a moment about being in a nutshell. I found it liberating. <laughs> I, nice. I couldn't believe it. I, I logged on and all of a sudden it's given me a score. I won't tell you what my score is, but it was below average, and you know what that means. And then it brought together all of these different areas where I've handed over my data and I went from being embarrassed to panicked. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and, and I thought, um, that's ridiculous. How how did I let that happen? And I wouldn't have known that it would be as straightforward to try and bring control back as you provide. So I'm not here to do a testimonial for you, but i got to tell (laughs) you, last night I took control of where my data is. So hats off to you. I must ask though, how did you go from that point of realizing it's a problem and to take that step that this is where you're going to Build your startup and invest your energy and invest your time. How did you actually make that step?
1: First, I must say thanks for the great uh, testimonial. I must say that when, like to give you a little perspectives or numbers about that problem, the average footprint consists of the average digital footprint consists of 350 companies that have your sensitive information. And not only that, this number keeps growing by eight new companies a month. So the fact that our digital footprint is highly dynamic uh, and keep changing all the time, especially during COVID where we had to move all of our offline activities uh, to online. So we are sharing more of our personal data. We actually discovered that during COVID, your data exposure grew by 55% worldwide. And this is really surprising because we allow people to find all the information that they already forgotten about from previous relationships they had with companies. And the problem is really simple. We live in a very connected world, in a very connected era where we want to use the internet because the internet is a great place. We want to use online services and we have to give our personal data every day. And we have no choice, right? Because companies are dictating the terms and we all have to click, I agree all the time. How do you feel when you have to click, I agree every time you sign up to a new service or buy something online?
0: I understand your point 100%. In fact, inside my family, I've got family members who are shopping online. They never shopped online before. Whereas you and I might consider ourselves to be IT savvy. Who have family members who don't. And so this problem isn't even one that would play in their mind. I must ask you a question, though, and especially relative to the congressional hearings that were last week in the US. Major organizations with platforms major organizations with who are aggregators. Do you think about this privacy and data question or problem differently when you think about aggregators versus platforms?
1: Yeah, all the time. Mainly, uh, so when we first started MINE, and this is how we got to that idea, uh, when we first started MINE, we saw the GDPR two years ago that was legislated, and we thought it's an amazing regulation that gives consumer power over the personal data, but we knew that without the technology that would make it accessible to everyone, it would be hardly used. And so going back to your previous question, we went all around Europe asking people in the streets whether they heard about the GDPR, whether they exercised it, and we got the same answer from everyone. None of them knew how to leverage and to use those rights to their own benefits. And it's a shame because the regulator worked really hard to legislate those privacy uh, laws for us, the citizens. And it's too bad that people are not using that on a daily basis. So this is how we got to that idea. And we did all the market validation and realized that there is a massive opportunity here to empower people, to manage, to discover their data and to manage it on a daily basis. So this is how we first started and uh, about the hearing and about everything that is happening. I think that uh, privacy has became mainstream and it's clear. Uh, the average person keeps hearing about privacy and everyone is talking about it on a daily basis because of the data breaches and privacy scandals and everything that is happening. More and more people keep hearing about that. And this is why within mine, we wanted to bring to the world a product which would fit the mainstream, not tech-savvies like you and me, to give it to the mass market, uh, to people that doesn't really... Think about it uh, in a daily basis. And the key for our success is to design a product that doesn't change any of your current behavior. And this is what we did uh, with mine. You can actually live your life, keep using the internet, keep signing up to new uh, services, purchase things online, do whatever you want with your data. But mine will be there with you and show you everything that is happening with your data. And always keep you on top of things so you can have the, the choice to decide what you want to do with your data. And we will do everything for you.
0: It's interesting, Gail. Part of the experience, which I should add, is that I sent, using your automation, nearly 100 requests out yesterday. And I've received a response from maybe a third. So organizations aren't set up to be able to automatically come back to me. One actually phoned me to make sure I hadn't made a mistake, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But out of the 100, at least 60 haven't re- replied in any way. So I think that's, that's an interesting learning in itself.
1: Every privacy regulation has a time period, a different time period, where uh, the company needs to comply with the process. So, for example, within the GDPR, it's 30 days. And within CCPA in California, for example, it's 45 days. Not all of the companies respond fast. It's, it's a process. And a lot of companies are still working on on being compliant to worldwide privacy regulations so it's a process but we do see companies that are doing their best efforts to give their customers a better privacy experience companies understand that they need to do that in order to elevate their trust and credibility within their customers so it's a process but we see a really nice progress so far
0: with open data we're seeing the the demand legislation in australia that the major banks, if I ask, the major bank needs to pass my information to a small organization. What are the complexities and the risks you're seeing in that sort of behavior?
1: Obviously, privacy regulations, and, and also in Australia, you have the OAIC, which is the uh, equivalent of the GDPR. So it really depends what kind of right you want to exercise. When it comes to the right of access, your ability to ask the information that the company collected about you, that actually consists of a lot of risks because the company has to make sure that Tony is Tony and that you understand that you are going to receive a lot of sensitive data about you from the company. So that requires a whole kind of different verification and validation in terms of completing that request. Uh, We actually started with another right. We started with the right to be forgotten, which is the process is a little bit simpler than get a copy of your data because you you don't get any possession of your sensitive data. You actually want to delete your account. So we started with that because the process is a little bit uh, simpler and most of the companies are more prepared to deal with the deletion of your account, the right to be forgotten because it's easier than finding all the information and prepare it to share it with you uh, as a copy. So there is a, a major difference between uh, between the two. We do see we are not a third party in the process. So when you want to delete an account with mine, you can actually use our product to send an email to the company to initiate uh, the process. But the email is being sent directly from your inbox. So we are not a third party in the process. We we're just the facilitator that help you discover your data and actually start the uh, deletion process but in the future we want to actually do it all, all the um, back and forth with the company that you have to do so we want to do it for you automatically
0: and that's exactly my experience gal there's a view that you'll be able to bring to this conversation that that is very strong from both sides of the, of the fence as such could you maybe share some insights to somebody who might be listening to the podcast today if they're looking for investment From your experience, what might be one or two things you'd say, think this through really carefully, and equally, as somebody with your own startup, what do you see that has changed now that wasn't there maybe two or three years ago, a degree of complexity that you could help another up-and-coming founder navigate?
1: This is a really, really interesting question. So I'll start with two general things, and then something more specific about those times. So the general, personally, I have a motto that I keep using uh, and keep saying that to myself over the years, that success is actually a management of failures. And therefore, do not be afraid to take risks, right? And experience failures, because this is how we learn best. You need to learn from it. So this is the first general things I like to say. And the second, I think that as an investor, as a previous investor, I know that that the number one thing that we look at future uh, entrepreneurs is the founding team. And the founding team is the key to a healthy company and culture. And when you do early stage investments, all you can really check is the team, right? Because the market can change, the competitive landscape can change, business models are keep changing all the time, startups are doing a lot of pivots all the time. So the only thing that is left certain is the founding team, and this is, and I can tell you that through Series through Seed and Series A, the founding team is the most important factor that at the end of the day investors would invest in the startup. Now, about something specific for these challenging times, I think that COVID changed a lot of in, changed a lot of industries, uh, obviously, and therefore anyone who starts a new startup need to take a close look at the environment. At the market, it would be hard to start something new in the travel industry right now because it's really hard to generate business model there because it's uncertain what is going to happen and when this industry would go back to life. So I would focus on seeing where the market is evolving. For example, future of work or working from home. This is something really new. Uh, Fitness uh, from home is something that is really evolving. So I would start seeing, researching on the market and seeing where the major industries are going to be evolved and to try to find gaps there that you can find a solution to.
0: Where do you go looking for trends? It's super
1: important to start with the market research. So you need to start with uh, Google is probably your best friend. I would start with uh, a few market research done by Companies like um, Accenture, Deloitte, or any of those, uh, Gartner, Forrester, any of those companies that keeps giving you like a high level overview about different markets just to understand what is happening there. And then to understand trends, it really depends whether you are doing a B2B or a B2C startups. If it's a B2B, you need to go and speak with as many companies uh, that are relevant to the problem that you want to solve, right? To get a sense of the, of the need and the problem to make sure that you can actually craft something that is really solving something. A lot of entrepreneurs are running fast to uh, develop and to write code and to come up with a product before actually checking that there is a need. And similarly on the B2C side, which is quite similar to what we did at Mind, we went and talked with people in the street, people that doesn't know us, that are not biased by that, And just literally ask them out of the blue a lot of questions to understand whether the pain and the need is really there. So it doesn't really matter if you're doing a B2C or a B2B startup. You need to make sure that you've spoke with the target audience, whether it's customers or companies, to make sure that there is a real pain. And you need to make sure that you are asking the right questions so the trend is really easy to check because it's, it's out there and you can read about it. But then I think that the main goal is to make sure that you take those trends and you make sure that there is a real problem and not going fast to develop a solution before understanding that someone's really needed and that someone really want to pay for it.
0: That's about feeling the pulse of the market is what you have just highlighted, which is a really great point. As an investor and now with your own startup, you will have seen and you spoke about the importance of teams. Could you maybe speak for a moment to your perspective on diversity and inclusion and what you've seen when you're sitting there as an investor and how you think through that topic now as the founder of your own your own startup?
1: So this is a topic that is really important to me personally, and it's also one of our company values. So speaking from an investor perspective, it's too, I think that there is a long way to go. I think that, for example, startups, founders led by women are really, really small. And also VC investors that are women are, the numbers are really low. And I think that that has to be changed. As a company, by the way, we are currently 16 people, and we are almost 50-50 men and women, which is not so popular out there. So we are really giving uh, a hard thought on that, and it's it's a value that we keep every time we open a new position, every time we interview people, we keep thinking about that diversity uh, and inclusion. And personally, I think that I'm always trying to give a fair and equal chance to everyone and I'm trying to think on a person from the uh, personality level and the professional uh, level. It doesn't really matter where it's coming from.
0: That's fantastic to hear. And Congratulations. It's that's, that's wonderful to have that perspective at the, the start of your journey. Could I ask you maybe to close then with a reflection on mentors and coaches? Somebody listening to this podcast, if they're thinking about how do I work out what a good mentor or coach should look like or bring to me? Could you maybe give some things to avoid maybe from your experience and some things to really gravitate toward?
1: This is a really good question. I think the answer is depends. I had really good and bad experiences during my time. And I think there are many mentors out there which are really professional and have a lot of experience and knowledge. But I think when you need to choose one, you need to really understand what exactly are your needs and what are your goals. I really suggest you write it down to yourself to see that it's aligned with your company goals or with whatever you're trying to achieve and only then search for a mentor. And I will choose a mentor really, which is specific to only one goal or one pain, and not taking someone that have a broad experience because then you can work with several mentors that each one of them can help you with a specific uh, thing. I'm not saying that someone that have a broad experience cannot help you uh, as well, but I think that it would be more, let's say, I think successful if you choose mentors that are really good in uh, specific se- things that you need help with. And I think it's really important to put the objectives up front to both sides to make sure that this, re- this relationship works because if you check that on a quarterly basis and if it's not working and waste of your time, I think since it's a business after all, I think that both sides need to be sensitive to that and stop that fast if it doesn't work and doesn't give value to both sides.
0: That's wonderful insight and wonderful advice. I appreciate everything that you've shared today. It's been a joy meeting with you and it'll be fantastic to stay in touch. But Gal, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Likewise, thank you very much, Tony, and I invite you all to uh, take ownership of your personal data online. It's a really important uh, mission, and mine is here to uh, bring the choice back to the internet and to give consumers worldwide a chance to uh, have more confidence in using the internet.
0: What a big topic, and it was interesting to hear about Gal's background and where the Mind development is up to and where it is tracking. But that's all for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.